So in season one, episode 13 of the popular sitcom, New Girl, Nick has found himself at what you could call maybe a quarter-life crisis. Uh, He's just turned 30. I'm 28, so the the show actually resonates with me a lot. Um, He's just turned 30 after having dropped out of law school. And so throughout the first season, he's bartending and spending his weekends uh, getting blackout drunk and hooking up with girls 10 years younger than him. Um, And so finally, after watching all three of his roommates enter what looked like healthy relationships, uh, he decides to back up um, and, and go back to his abusive girlfriend, his abusive ex-girlfriend, to hopefully see if, if things are different this time. And so like any good friend would do, Jess, who's one of his roommates, she confronts him at, at work one night and she essentially asks him, dude, what the heck are you doing? His response? Listen to this. He says, the first time around, we weren't ready to work at it. And now we are. And besides, Caroline is way hotter than that voice in my head who sounds like Tom Waits and tells me I'm a failure and that I look bad in hats. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with him. What does the voice inside your head sound like? You know, the one that tells you that you're not studying enough? The one who tells you you don't have enough friends? The one who tells you that you're not dating anyone because you're not pretty enough? I don't even know who Tom Waits is, but but I know exactly what Nick is talking about. The voice inside my head, for me, it's a little bit more like a drill sergeant, assaulting my dignity day after day, hour after hour, with the intent of of leaving me broken, bruised, insecure. Am I the only one here tonight that just feels deeply insecure? Much like Nick, you and me, we, we do whatever we can to, to escape the voice of shame. It's almost comical, isn't it? Like Nick runs back to his emotionally abusive girlfriend because he's so desperate to escape the astronomical weight of shame. Where do you run? Do you run to your books hoping that if you can take enough credits this semester and spend just enough time studying, you can escape the pit of shame that reminds you just how lonely you are? You're under pornography where just even for five minutes you can run from the problems of your life and the lurking shame that is screaming about a paper deadline early tomorrow morning. Do you run to as many Christian groups as possible because if you can just show God and everybody else that you are good and upright and some sort of moral person, it might mean your shame will disappear. I think central to our, our text tonight is the assumption that every human being runs from their shame. Well, let me repeat that. We, we all run from our shame, whether you're a Christian or a skeptic. We are all sitting here tonight with layers and layers of fig leaves to help cover just how deeply insecure and shamed we are. And so if this is true. Uh, what hope is there? What hope do you and me have? What do we do with our shame? And so this leads me to, to just my one point. For tonight it might seem a little different. I have one point, which is a God who seeks. I'm just going to repeat that one more time. We're going to be looking at a God who seeks. And so commenting on his own conversion to the Christian faith, C.S. Lewis, who's the author of all the Narnia series. Uh, I think there's seven books. 
even maybe a movie. You might be familiar with C.S. Lewis. He once said, amiable agnostics talk cheerfully about man's search for God. To me, as Eileen was, they might as well have talked about the mouse's search for the cat. I think, I think Lewis is hitting on this profound reality that happens after Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our shame, it naturally drives us into hiding. We don't search for a relationship with God because it's the very thing that feels most exposing and therefore life-threatening. Life Rather than have someone see the fig leaves for what they are and move toward us and seek to take them down, we are like mice running away from a cat. Hoping to find just the right hiding place where we can be safe and never exposed. And so, so, right, like we're no different than Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 7 and 8. I'm just going to read that text again. It reads, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made some loincloths, made themselves some loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So I think, I think to our modern minds, like we read something like sewing fig leaves together and, and making loincloths. At least I read the text this way. I, I'm like, what are they doing? Like, that's so silly. Like, of course, of course God sees you. You're like taking fig leaves and putting them on. But if you step back with me for a moment, like fig leaves were all that were available to Adam and Eve in the garden. Their shame was so acute and so powerful that they did whatever they could with the resources that were available to them to hide themselves as best they could. I don't think this is a lackluster effort at all. I think it's actually brilliant, brilliant. I think it's a brilliant technique to hide. And so times have changed, right? Like the MO is the same. The craftiness of shame, it leads your inner critic to use whatever is most readily available to it to safeguard against the pit of despair. Listen to what author Chuck DeGroat, who actually lives in Holland, Michigan, um, listen to what he has to say about our efforts. He says, the inner critic conspires to protect us from feeling shame, insecurity, and inadequacy. In fact, much of our busyness can be traced back to the constant frenetic energy we anxiously expend to keep ourselves from feeling shame. End quote. Oh boy. (laughs) I'm just going to read that one more time because I know I have a lot of Michigan students here tonight. Uh, He says, The inner critic conspires to protect us from feeling shame, insecurity, and inadequacy. In fact, much of our busyness can be traced back to the constant frenetic energy we anxiously expend to keep ourselves from feeling shame. I think DeGroote is saying that Michigan students are among the leaders and the best at protecting themselves from feeling shame. You're all brilliant. I feel my insecurity comes out in your presence. You're all brilliant. You're all successful. You're all sociable. You're not just like a, a nerd. You're easy to talk to. And you're also driven to work hard. You're welcome. but yet all you have to do is spend one semester on campus to realize that it's all this thin veneer to cover up the deep reality of who you are as descended from Adam and Eve you and me carry their shame we do it every day all day every day 
but also the power of that shame. It, it, continues, to rule, it continues to rule our lives. Made to walk with the Lord God in the, in the garden of Eden, naked and unashamed, we are left alone and hiding and swallowed up by our shame. And it is here, it is in this shame that we are all carrying in tonight that the God of the universe is, that the God of the universe addresses us. He addresses us. Verse 9 reads, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you tonight, friends? Are you at the start of a new semester and everything feels frantic and anxious? Are you at home with your parents, frustrated that you can't leave and be with your your friends? Wherever you are, God gently asks you and me, just like he did Adam and Eve, where are you? He doesn't say, what the heck have you done? Why do you feel like that, idiot? He doesn't say, where'd you, you know, where'd you selfish half, or where'd you selfish, ungrateful half creatures go? Where'd you crawl off to, idiots? No. God expresses curiosity and compassion. Philip Greenslade, in his book, God's Questions, he says this about the nature of questions. He writes, God's questions are intended to draw us out, not to put us down. God is the, ma- is the master counselor, probing the fault lines of our, of our soul. His questions shine a light on the twilight zone between soul and spirit. His queries gently invade our privacy, not to expose, but to heal. He patiently investigates the, la- the labyrinthine ways of the human heart, not to increase his knowledge, but to help us know ourselves better. He quizzes us not so that we can pass a test, but so that we can embrace reality. End quote. Think about it. The words, where are you? They are the first words spoken to Adam and Eve in their shame. Of all the things that God could address Adam and Eve in their shame, the first words out of his mouth are, where are you? And in a way, guys, God's response to their shame is indicative of his character and how he will meet his people throughout the course of the entire Bible. He's a God who seeks and saves the lost and the shamed. Every other person, institution, religion, or no religion cannot find you where you have hidden. You've duped everybody with your fig leaves. Um, So my son Peter, he's recently gotten into this phase where he likes when I go and, and, and when I hide. And it's really silly if you've been to our house, right? He's in the kitchen and I run into like my wife's studio, which is literally, I don't know, 10 feet away. Um, and he comes and he runs and he's, he finds me. And then I say, Peter, now it's your turn to hide. You know how he responds? He says, daddy, hide. Daddy, hide. Translation, I don't want to hide because I'm scared that you won't find me. I would rather come and find you. I think every single one of you, this is, this is my hot take for the night. I think every single one of you, under your layers of fig leaves, I think you desire to be found. I think you desire to be known and loved. You desire to be naked and unashamed. It's more figurative, but I'm sure some of y'all 
uh, also desire to be naked and unashamed and otherwise. Um, it's the desire that is programmed into the DNA of who you are. It's the reason why you go on dates. It's the reason why you have friends. It's the reason why I think a lot of you are here at RUF tonight. I think your deepest fear is that you will be left all alone in the place that you are currently hiding. So some of you might say, Robert, I'm not hiding. I mean, here I am. Hello. I'm looking at you in the face right now. I'm, re- I'm pretty transparent. I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. And I think our text tonight says otherwise. I think it says you're really good at hiding right out in the open. And so, so if all of us desire to be found and you spend a lifetime trying to be found, trying to peel off the layers of fig leaves that you've sown for yourself. I think, I think ultimately, right, we go years down the road, you're in college now, and again, you're looking me in the eyes and you're going, on some level, it's to of no avail. It hasn't worked yet. I can't, can't strip these fig leaves off fast enough so that people would actually know me for who I am and actually love me, not just love the... the resume Michigan student who does this and that and is really successful. I want people to love the messy, broken side of myself that I can't even bring myself to love. If this resonates with you at all, hear me, hear me on this. The guy of the Bible sees you, he knows you, and he draws near to you. He's the one, he's the only one who can find you. Because I don't even think you can find yourself. I think that's why we have an epidemic of identity crisis. And so if this is too good to be true, or or if this sounds even quite frightening, (laughs) I I think it's because your experience in life has probably been the opposite. We've all been there. You feel like you can finally trust that person you've been friends with for years. You let them into the deepest, darkest insecurity you have. Pillow talk at a sleepover in high school, right? You let them in, finally. And what do they do with it? They make a joke about it. Oh, you feel that way about her? What? They tell other people, did you know so-and-so, they have like a thing? Or the worst possible response, they withdraw from you entirely. They stop texting and wanting to hang out. And so the cynic in you and me, we we think, how could anyone, let alone myself, desire to see what's underneath the fig leaves when every time that's happened in the past, it's only confirmed the shame I inherently feel. It's only confirmed this narrative that the world puts off and that I inherently believe that the only way to be safe, the only way to safeguard getting hurt is, is if I remain under these fig leaves. They're my hiding place. I know some of you are skeptics tonight because you might have even had this experience in the church. The very place it's not supposed to happen. And all that's done is just confirm just how much the God of the Bible is actually out to shame you instead of heal you. I don't think that Christianity stuff works. But what if, what if, just hang with me for a moment. What if your experience didn't actually reflect what was true about God? What if God wants so much to display his curiosity and compassion for you that he took on human flesh to come after you in your shame? 
It isn't enough for God to ask, where are you, and leave it at that. He isn't a God who sends the, the how are you doing text and then just doesn't do anything about it. God asks the question of you and then proceeds to move heaven and earth to find you in all the various places that you hide, all the different masks that you put on. God moves heaven and earth to strip them down because he wants nothing more than you and only you. In the person of Jesus Christ, God's where are you question is heard of the loud stereo of our shame. He is Emmanuel, the God who is with you in your shame, the only human being to never experience the crippling despair of not being enough. He's the one who actually chooses to draw near to you, to do life with you, and to die for you. Your shame becomes his glory. His righteousness, dignity, and worth becomes your life. There's this great exchange that takes place. Nate read for us about about Zacchaeus tonight. Y'all might have been thinking that's really random to hear about this short dude climbing a tree. As a tax collector, uh, his people, they despised him. They despised him for selling out to the Romans. The Romans belittled him for being a Jew. There is perhaps no better picture for how his shame has completely left him alone and isolated when he is sitting in that tree trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus. The dude's alone. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. I love this line because not only does Jesus see him, he knows his shame and he desires to draw near to Zacchaeus so much that he'll forego all that he has to do the rest of the day just to spend it with Zacchaeus. And so to put it simply, Jesus, he identifies with them. He says, oh yeah, Zacchaeus, short little dude who none of y'all like, I'm going to hang out with him. Even though Zacchaeus has no friends, feels like a loser, and he's desperately insecure, I mean, there is no greater picture of someone being a loser, someone being desperately insecure. Jesus has all the compassion in the world for the shame-filled man who desperately desires to be known. He's so desperate, he climbs this tree. So, let me bring the question back to us. Where are you? I want to suggest that wherever you are tonight... However you might be trying to hide in your shame, Jesus desires to find you and stay at your house. He desires to so identify with you that he would live inside of you tonight through his Holy Spirit. He would take up residence in you. Because the reality is Zacchaeus, he's just one of dozens and dozens and dozens of shame-filled stories in the Bible. God has been and always is in the business of seeking people like you and me out who are filled with shame, drawing near by taking up residence in us, and then proceeding to transform us. He doesn't leave us in this shame-filled state. He doesn't just dwell in us and go, oh, it's kind of a shack in here. It kind of sucks. He, he does something about it. So here's, here's some food for thought. What would it look like for God to transform your shame? What would it look like to live mask-free? How might, you, how might you live differently? I think the first thing that came to my mind just as I was writing this, there's a lot of answers to this. Um, but the, just the first thing that came to my mind is that you might be free to live in community and not just fly under the radar, not just show up to RUF. What's up? Leaving to go do homework. Peace. Um, 
not to shame those of you guys who do that. Homework's a real thing. Um, But it might free you to actually open up about your insecurities and fears. It might free you to not hide behind the mounds of just stuff you have to do every week. Guys, for the record, this is the whole point of life groups. If you're like, why are, why are we doing these life groups? Uh, Robert wants us to study the Bible. Well, yes, the Bible's great. Uh, but we call them life groups and not Bible studies. We call them life groups and not community groups. We call them life groups so that you guys might do life with each other, so that you might be known by others in the same way that you were known by God. And so the prayer for life groups is that, that you get an experience, a tangible experience of the grace that God communicates to us in the Bible. And you know what? Life groups aren't the only place you can find that. There are a lot of other places out there where you can find that. Um, but that's why we do life groups here in RUF. Uh, and so the picture of God seeking you in your shame is a picture, and I'll end with this. It's a picture of Jess from New Girl and, and what she gives to Nick at, this same, at the end of this same episode I quoted earlier. She bursts in the bathroom. Uh, I guess context, she just um, saw this guy who, I guess, I don't know, she was hooking up with or whatever. She just saw him propose to his girlfriend, and she's, like, amazed by it, you know. Oh, my gosh, it's love. It's this, that, and the other thing. And she bursts in the bathroom as Nick is getting out of the shower, and she says, you're wrong. All the stuff that you said about Caroline being about timing and just making sense, no. Because if you really love someone, it's simple. You deserve something amazing, and you deserve love. I know you don't want to be alone, but I'm going to be there. Now tell that Tom Waits voice in your head to shut up. We don't have to settle, Nick. You're the best. You don't have to settle for hiding in your shame. God knows you don't want to be alone. So that is why he's come after you and he desires to be with you. You don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend for that. God has come after you. And for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus tonight, he's going to be there telling that inner critic in your head to shut up because your shame is not your story. The inner critic does not have the last say. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you move near to us in our shame. You don't just move near to us. You desire to come after us enough that you would take up residence in us, live in us, that you might change us so that we might live as we are created to be. Dignified creatures made in your image who are naked and not ashamed. We are... (laughs) We're proud of the people that you've made us. Lord, I know these students, I know their hearts because their hearts are my heart. There are just parts to us that we just hate. We feel deeply shamed by other people. And we are doing everything to run away from it. We're doing everything to cover it up. Forgive us for for believing the lie that we can't trust you. Forgive us for believing the lie that that this is who we are. We are we are shame destined. We're destined to live out our shame. 
forgive us for believing that lie. And help us now to, to, to raise our, our voices and praise of what you've done and how you're at work to redeem us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.